morning. All right, Acts chapter 2. Please, if you could turn there. Acts chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in your, your seat or on your phone. If not, raise your hand. We'll get you one. Uh, vintage church. So what have you been... Actually, I need to ask first. Any Patriots fans here today? Really? You're bold enough to do that? That's amazing. There's one. There's one. I think so. Or the only one. <laughs> Two? Okay. You guys are bold. Watch your back after, I think. Uh, not that anybody here is a Falcons fan at all, but um, uh, perhaps this should be an interesting day. What have you been labeled? What have you been labeled in your life? Uh, I find it funny that Pastor Ben just labeled you guys uh, Smurfs. Uh, what was the other word? Blobs? I missed that. Are you making that up? Did he really? What was the other word? Duds. Okay, not blobs. <laughs> That's... <laughs> No duds, okay. But I think it, it's a popular thing now to take the leaders, what they're saying up front, and to take uh, sound bites and, and send them all over the world, right? So, <laughs> so we are labeled Smurfs or duds. And he said another word that made me think um, in regards to uh, where we're headed today and what the church has been uh, labeled. Uh, Anybody go to a school where they did uh, the superlatives or whatever? There's probably another name for it. Um, I went to a small, well, well I'll just say I, I graduated uh, eighth in my class. There, there, there were eight of us. <laughs> I kid you not. You can ask my parents. They're here today. They can vouch for that. <laughs> there were eight people that graduated. Uh, and I was labeled uh, in the superlatives in the yearbook, and I can show you proof, that four consecutive years, you know how there's like uh, most likely to succeed or most likely to go to jail. I don't think that was actually one in there, but um, most likely to, uh, you name it. I, for four years, was consecutive. I was proud of it at the time. It seems ridiculous now. I was voted class clown. Um, <laughs> And at the time, that was like uh, a label I was like excited about, but now it just seems really immature and ridiculous. But nonetheless, sometimes we are labeled something, and whether we want to be labeled that or not, a lot of times it comes out of really the characteristics or the behavior or the things that we've done. Um, today, I want to explore, I want to dive into Acts 2 with you again, and explore what the church was not just what they did, but who they are. Um, it is captured in a word that I want to teach you this morning. Um, if you if you're not sure what the word means, um, it's captured in the word ethos. You see it on the screen. So we're doing a, a, a series through the book of of Acts and Paul's missionary journey and the apostles, the Acts of the apostles um, through the early uh, church into the church of Philippi and Ephesus and on and on as he begins his journey. It's going to be an awesome year. But as we've broken it up, um, we've just did 
uh, the last several weeks on the Vintage Church, but now we're breaking it up into like four weeks or eight week sections. And this four week section is called Ethos. Now, there is some, this is a, how many like know that word or have used that word in their vocabulary? Anybody? Um, like, come on, Patriots fans, you can't vote the same thing. Like, a couple of you, good. Ah. Uh, there was even some debate. This is, this is even though it's not a big word, uh, it was kind of a big word uh, when we were kind of trying to think about how this would work. Um, there was even some debate um, on how to pronounce this word. Um, and I won't point out who won that debate. Um, but this word means this. So if you're taking notes, this is the, the clear definition of ethos. Ethos is the characteristic spirit of a culture and community. Ethos is the characteristic spirit of a culture and community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. Simply put, ethos is the characteristic spirit of a culture and community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. Here's some synonyms of what, what ethos would also be used as. Ethos is the spirit of the room. The, the character of the room, the culture of the room, the, the climate of the room, the mood of the room, the feeling or the tenor or the essence. When you go somewhere, you immediately get, you grasp the ethos of a place. Whether it's a car dealership, a restaurant, a church, Aunt Edna's Thanksgiving dinner, Whatever it is, there's, a, there's an ethos to the room. And some of those ethos, and some of those characteristic spirit, um, the culture of that room, makes you want to be a part of that room. Like, I went back to that restaurant because they were so welcoming, and their food was so good. And, like, my, I wasn't broke when I walked out. And I was, my, my belly was full, I was happy, I was good to go. I went to that dealership because last time, Four years ago, they treated me well, and they walked with, there was an ethos of how, not just how you're treated, not just tangible things that you can grasp, uh, but things that you feel, things that are. It's the characteristic spirit of it all. You know who has the, uh, the most obvious ethos in our culture today? Is the church. When you go to church, you, whether you're the first time or whatnot, there's an ethos to the church. And, and it's past, like, how well uh, they welcomed you at the door. It's past how uh, uh, captivating or boring the, the message was that morning. It's past how uh, dynamic and engaging worship was. A lot of times, if you've ever been to, to and I see some new faces today, and we're, we're so excited that you're here and, and we're, you're so welcome to be here. And hopefully the ethos that you get is that. Like, like, hopefully I'm pointing this out in the aspect of, like, we are so glad that you're, you're here. And that when you go somewhere for the first time, as you're maybe here today, when, let's say you go with somebody, and you go and get in the car to leave, and depending on the dynamics of your relationship, um, you'll describe it, or whoever goes first, or whoever has, is more expressive maybe, you'll describe the ethos. Did you like it? Well, yes. Did you like it? Well, no. And then the dot, dot, dot of that answer is describing this characteristic spirit 
of that culture, of that community? What were the aspirations? What were the, 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 the manifested beliefs of that place that you went to? Even when you go to watch a sporting event, there's an ethos. You've been to a game that, that isn't so exciting, and, and your team uh, loses by a lot. Um, or maybe your own child loses by a lot. There's this ethos of this like, wah, 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 wah. But you've been to a game. You've been to a game that you will never forget. The shot was made. The crowd went wild. The crowd rushed the court. The, the one that made the winning shot was hoisted up and celebrated as they left. Maybe that's a little uh, dramatic. But you've been to those games. You'll never forget the ethos of that room. This vintage church had an ethos that wasn't just good, but it was fully um, drenched in the Spirit of God and His power and His plan and His promise. And so this morning, I want to dive in. This is one of my favorite passages uh, as we dive in and we just see what this, in this first week, what the ethos of the early church the vintage church was like. So we're at uh, chapter 2 and verses, uh, oh, where are we at here? We're at verse 42. Chapter 2 and verse 42. Sometimes there's a banner above this section, and the banner above mine says the fellowship of the early believers. Let's back up, actually, even to, to verse 41. It says, so those who received his word, whose word? We're talking about Peter's word. Um, Peter, uh, who was a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, had just preached his first, essentially his first sermon, uh, just in, earlier in chapter 2. And he did it out of boldness and out of clarity in the most tense times, in the most like uh, amazing, triumphant moment. And we're going to get to that a little bit more. But his word meant the gospel. Peter's gospel about the risen Jesus. And it says that they were baptized after they received his word. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pastor Cameron mentioned that like this is, this is like, that's a good, good day's work, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if, if like that happened, even though there's not 3,000 people in here. But wouldn't it be neat to know that that day, 3,000 people came to the saving knowledge and relate, beginning a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's nothing more exciting than that. And they received Jesus by that word, by that gospel, by the, the message that Peter had to repent, to turn from their sin, and to run after the one that truly can give them new life, that they die to themselves, and they rise to new life in Jesus Christ. Nothing's more exciting than that. 3,000 people. Then it goes on to say, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Excuse me, let me back up. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. Let me stop there. The, the context of this, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've got to understand 
that this is a brand new thing. This is a, a brand new journey in the midst of difficult diversity and, and, and change and, and Jesus Christ, they're, they're who they had followed, uh, dying and being crucified um, and then rising from the dead and, and then teaching them and showing and, 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 and displaying his divinity to them for 40 days. And then he ascends and he leaves and he leaves them with this promise, this, this, this uh, commission and, and this, this thing in, in chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, you guys, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my martyrs. You're going to be the proclaimers of truth to this city, Jerusalem, to this area, Judea, to this region, Samaria, and to the actual uttermost parts of the world. You're going to go to the rest of the world and proclaim the truth of what you just experienced. And by the way, uh, when you go, you're not going on your own. In fact, I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit is coming. And it's better that I leave. It's better that, that I, Jesus, like you're seeing God with skin. But it's better that I leave because I'm going to send the Spirit of God. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come upon you, and he's going to fill you, and he's going to use you, and he's going to give you power. And then you will be my witnesses. But wait, like don't go anywhere. You wait right here for the promised spirit of God to come. And so they did. We're, we're, we're really like at that moment for them, they were, they were good with waiting. They were scared to death. They were, and they were in hiding. But they were waiting for the most important thing. They were waiting for power. The power from on high. And the power came. And the power filled them. And they began to speak as they spoke, everyone had gathered for a feast from all over the world. The Jews from all different cultures and all different languages had gathered for that feast in Jerusalem. And as they spoke, they were hearing the message in their own language. You talk about excitement. You talk about like 3,000 people coming to Jesus one day. Well, what happened like right before that? The dude, the preacher was up there speaking like languages from all over the world and they were all hearing the language that he was speaking, that they knew. Miraculous. The power came. The power filled. The Holy Spirit filled them. And they began to do what God had proclaimed that they were going to do. And they began to spread the gospel. And the church, the church began. The Pentecost. So here they were. Um, <laughs> new and fresh and being changed, and being rescued, and redeemed. And the whole picture of God was coming to life. The whole history of, of the Israelites was coming to life. And they realized that in that moment, they were going to the rest of the world. And they devoted themselves. See, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there just for a second. Is that You cannot understand God's love for you, and God's rescue that he sent for you, and the sacrifice that he paid for you, and the power by which he rose from the dead. You can't know that, and you can't experience that without that word, devoted. Like, it just proclaims us. It, it like, uh, not proclaims us, it pushes us. 
an overflow into devotion. If, if the early church, if the vintage church was anything, they were devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? What does it mean for you and me to be devoted? Think about that. Like, it wasn't just something they did. It wasn't just something that happened one day a week. It says that they were devoted. What were they devoted to? Let's look at it. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Who were the apostles? The apostles were these disciples. They were these early followers that God had sent out to spread this gospel to the rest of the world. And they committed themselves, this early, this vintage church, they committed themselves to this apostles' teaching. And they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to fellowship. So what does it require in order to, to be devoted for fellowship? What is the most important thing? Your presence. <laughs> you can't say, oh man, I'd love to fellowship, or I'm going to have fellowship with you and not show up. Like that's kind of, it kind of goes with saying, like if you're going to have fellowship, if you're going to hang out, if you're going to do life together, there has to be this devotion to your presence. And it's no different than it was for the vintage church as it is for us today. In order for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, in order for us to be devoted to fellowship, we have to be present. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that, that you don't come in with a check mark of like, okay, did my church today. We're so glad that you came with the the heart and the idea that I want to do fellowship with the body of Christ. I'm, I'm devoted to that. So many of us would have, like, maybe ideally or in our flesh, would have rather slept in today or um, enjoyed the weather today, done something different. But you didn't. You devoted yourself to be present. And you know and I know that when you're devoted to the church, when you're devoted to this fellowship and this teaching, that you're also devoted not just to show up here, you're devoted to do life with one another. We set this up through something called open house. And there's these open houses that take place um, all throughout our area where people come and they hang out. And they eat, well, most places they eat good food. Um, and they have great, I think probably all the places have good food. Um, they have good fellowship, like there's good friendships being formed. People that, like, maybe were a little bit more diverse, or maybe at first thought they had nothing in common, now have everything in common because of the gospel. And there's prayer, and there's learning, and there's growth, and there's things that are happening in this open house. Now the question is, is have you committed, have you devoted yourself to that? And maybe you're like, well, like, I'm so busy, I, I can't. I can't commit to come somewhere, someone's house, like once a week. You know what? Maybe, maybe it's, and you're like, I just want to be home. Well, maybe you should lead an open house. Maybe you should, and maybe like past the official, like under the umbrella of these open houses, these, these house church gatherings that happen throughout the week. Maybe for you it's more like you need to look down the, the, the pew and invite that person over for dinner. It's the building of relationship. It's the devoted uh, aspect of, of the heart to receive these people in their life. To see them where they're at. And to love them no matter what. 
the teaching and to the fellowship. What else did they commit, devote themselves to? What does it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The next thing it says there is they devoted themselves to fellowship. What was the ne- what's the next thing? Okay, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This morning, we will break bread symbolically as we take communion at the end. This is a time where we celebrate and we remember Jesus' sacrifice. The bread that represents his body that was broken and the juice that represents um, his blood that was shed for you and I and the forgiveness of our sins. Um, They committed themselves to that. Why? Because they wanted to remember what had happened. They didn't want to forget. Guys, listen, this vintage church, it wasn't, it was, this was not some like long 2,000 years ago distant memory. This was fresh for them. A lot of these people, the early church, especially these disciples, these apostles, these leaders, they saw Jesus. They knew Jesus Christ. They saw him murdered on a cross. They saw him dead. And they saw him alive. They saw him walking and eating and talking. And he's alive again. Like this was, a, this was a, a natural, obvious reality for them. They felt the filling of the Holy Spirit. They felt the power come. They saw the Holy Spirit use them in miraculous ways. They, they, even before that, they were remembering that Jesus, like they sh- Jesus showed them the scar, like, hold, like, dude, I got holes in my hand from when they nailed me on the cross. They, like, it was fresh in their mind. They don't have, like, your eye, like a flannel graph to remember what, what happened in the Bible. For them, they lived it. They didn't need to watch a Mel Gibson movie about how Jesus was, was murdered for, for their sacrifice. They saw it. This was a real thing for them. And honestly, uh, as I said before, this proves the fact that they believed it because many of them were murdered and martyred for the very fact that they followed Jesus. Not because they wanted to um, hurt people on their way out or do some type of crazy thing in the name of Jesus, but no, they were literally crucified, they were burned, they were fed to lions, they were hunted and imprisoned, and many of them killed. Why? Because they wouldn't recant on the fact that they had seen Jesus risen. Everybody knew he was dead. That's why they crucified them. And that's why they put him up so high. And so that the whole city can be, Jesus can be an example. That this, this guy blasphemed. And he said that he was the, that he was the, the, the son of God. Like, they used him as an example. So everybody knew he was dead, but when they saw him alive, that's where their, their mind and their eyes and their faith and the reality of everything, like, it could not be connected. And it propelled them to devotion. It propelled them to fellowship. It propelled them to say, I'm all in with what the apostles, what those followers of Jesus were teaching. I'm all in on remembering how Jesus was, his, his body was broken and his blood was shed for me. Now, uh, when we look at the early church, let's, let's keep going. 
That's what they committed themselves to. And then this is what happened. And all came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Miraculous things were happening. There's chitter-chatter about all the people that were being healed and affected and risen and, and changed by the radical nature of this gospel. And here's where it gets really fun and practical. <laughs> and they started selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and they had favor with all the people. What was the result? The end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Unbelievable. Back up just a second. It says um, that they had favor with all of the people. Okay, so it's saying that they're, just before this, they're saying that there were 3,000 people that were saved. And it's giving all these details of what they're devoted to and all these details of what had happened. But when it says that they had favor with all the people, I don't think it's exaggerating here. I think it's legit. I think that they looked at them and they had favor in relationships with their neighbors and everyone around them because they were radically changed. It changed the way they did business. It changed the way they treated their brother. It changed the way they lived their life. It changed the way they treated their bodies. It changed everything. And because of that, people, like, looking in the windows, so to speak, of the church, they were not looking at this like, like, like I can't measure up. They were looking at this thinking, I want what they've got. They started to sell their stuff on Craigslist. They started to sell all their belongings. Like, I don't even need it anymore. I mean, again, I don't think it's saying like, oh, well, I haven't used that chariot wheel in three years. I'll, I'll, honey, we'll just put that on and we'll, we'll bring it to the apostles this, this weekend and we'll, we'll put it in the offering bucket because I'm sure it was just a metal bucket in the back. Um, we'll, just, we'll just bring it there and, 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 and we'll just kind of Cut the corners. Like there was this, this perspective change where they started um, seeing everything that they owned as not their own. Like essentially you and I, our, our cars, our homes, our clothes. Our stuff. It's not it's not ours. That, that, to me, is the ethos of the church. Does it mean that, like, okay, let's fast forward. Okay, let's go to chapter 4. It has a similar account, and it describes this a little bit deeper. In this very aspect of the stuff, it says, Now the full number of those who believed, in verse 32 of chapter 4, Now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart, and they're of one soul. And no one said uh, if that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. And they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person. There was not, are you hearing this? There was not a needy person among them. There was no needy person. Like, a, a needy person did not exist. Can I say it a different way? Like, are you getting this? This was crazy. Has there ever been anything in any culture of the world where somebody that, was, that a needy person didn't exist? What? I'm going to come back to that in just a second. For as many as were owners of lands and houses. Houses. These weren't chariot wheels sold on Craigslist. These were homes. This was land. <laughs> sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, a guy you're going to get to know really well, Barnabas, who, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You guys, there's this shift that happens that, that's past, like, the camaraderie of being a Bills fan or being, for two of you, a Patriots fan or for, for being an American or for being, like, whatever other... Uh, aspect of culture that describes the characteristic spirit of that place, that past that, past that, where they started like selling their stuff and giving it to anybody that had need. They did that through the church. They, didn't, they weren't just like, okay, I sold my car, and they go running in the streets, and they're just like, all right, wherever it lands is fine. They brought it into the storehouse. They brought it into the church, and the church was trusted to the point where they redistributed it to the people that had needs. And to the point where it says there is no needy person. What I'm calling you to, church, what I'm calling myself to, is that we come to a place where we see our stuff as not our own. And not just see it as not our own, tucked in some uh, barn or garage or basement somewhere. But that we would see our things and we'd start to begin to think like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start listening. What are the things that people need in, in my church? What, what do they need? This isn't just about stuff, because again, we've all been given used, broken things that we're like, oh, thanks, yeah, thanks for that. Well, that's not what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not the point. These people, you know what they did when this, they realized that somebody needed uh, clothes? They went to the store, essentially, and bought new clothes. This was a culture of honor. This was a culture of honor that went past just the stuff. It was the heart of the matter. And may this be the ethos of conduit. And I think it is. And honestly, like, this is something that has been a, 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 an amazing experience for me and my life the last few years and me and my family's life the last few years is we've not only experienced it ourselves, but we've experienced you love one another in a way where you hear of needs and those needs get met. And like, it's selfless. You give of your time, you give of your talent, you give of your muscle, you give of your pocketbook to meet the needs of those that you have things in common with 
What's in common? The gospel. The gospel. You sit in a room right now where we joke about this all the time. <laughs> kind of it like, uh, if, if like we only knew each other's like um, experiences or political beliefs or pocketbook amounts or you name it, you name it. It would probably blow your mind. And so, like, we don't ask you, uh, nor do we not, or ask you not to, we don't ask you to come in and list out all your political perspectives and where you see, well, we could just look at your Facebook and know, too. Um, but we don't, we don't ask you to necessarily wear that on a T-shirt. Why? Because when you come in, like, and not even just some pseudo, like, hey, when you're in this building, we're all together. No, in general, in life, we are, have all things in common. Guys, it said it in both of those passages, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, that they had all things in common. Did that mean that they're all the same? No. Go to the chapter before. It says they were from all over the world. They spoke different languages. They had different cultures. They had different values of how life is done and how work is done and how rest is done. Ultimately, yes, the Jewish uh, nature and culture of their history, but yes, totally different in how they did. But he keeps using this, this, this phrase that they had all things in common. How does this happen? It happens through Jesus. It happens through the gospel. It happens through the fact that you're redeemed, and you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and by the power of my testimony, and by the power of what God has done in my life. I have received the same grace that you have received, and all of a sudden, we are, we are like, there's no hierarchy. There's no, I'm better than you, or I'm, 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 I'm further along than you, or that I'm like seen as holier than you. You're holy if you have received by faith the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your sin. He took you're spanking so that you can stand before a holy God. You can be covered and clothed with the holiness of God. So God sees you, and he sees Jesus. He sees his sacrifice. And so if he's done that for you, he can't sort of kind of did that for somebody else. Either he did it or he didn't. And he did do it, and whether you receive it or not, that's, I guess, up for discussion. Have you received it? You're here today, and you're like, okay, I'm all in. This is a really nice church. They have great coffee. They have, like, fun donuts, and, and like, uh, they're a little bit crazy, but, like, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. But do you know what all in means? It means that exactly what it meant for this vintage church. It means this. It means that you're devoted to the teaching of the Word of God. It means that you're devoted to fellowship. It means that you're at open house. It means that you're, you're, you're serving it means that you're finding community and you're finding friendships. You're finding ways to serve. You're showing up early. You're staying late. Like you're just, this is a part of your life. This isn't just something you come and clock in and you clock out. This is so much, like there's so much, something so much better that we desire for you. The ethos of this church should be, that's gross. I spit, sorry. Um, the ethos of this church should be that of, that like, uh, yeah, we all got stuff that we're dealing with. We all have needs. We all have like back, different experiences and backgrounds and things that we're maybe even struggling with. But guess what? When we're the church, we're one. We are of one heart. The full number of those who believed who are of one heart and one soul. Um, I'm, I'm going to do... I'm going to have the worship team come up in like four minutes. 
But in these four minutes, before we go into communion, I, I just want to maybe share on a more personal level, like what the ethos of conduit, what we desire the ethos of conduit to be. That is so, so acts to. That is so filled with the Holy Spirit. That is so unexplainable. That is so focused on how with Jesus we have everything in common. That is so with Jesus in the gospel that has redeemed us. We are of one heart and one soul. Um, uh, so the, I think the best way to describe this is just through personal experience. So uh, many of you know Pastor Ben and myself, um, we don't actually just work together. Um, this actually started via a great and a close friendship. Um, and if you've ever worked with your friend, um, you know that that presents some challenges. And uh, there's obviously challenges in us working together um, and what has been established here. But it's stinking awesome. Like, I'm so grateful for this man and who he's, who he's been in my life. This, this friendship started, uh, let's see, ten, eight years ago. Uh, it started through my oldest son, Dalen, and his oldest son, Ori. They were in a preschool two, at two years old together, this thing called Two by Two. And, and in that, uh, Ben's wife, Jill, and my wife, Brienne, uh, met. And uh, Pastor Ben and I actually met at a, an acquaintance, through an acquaintance before that. And we started this, 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 this conversation and this, this friendship. And these guys became, like, inseparable almost instantly. Just the relationship they had with one another. And it carried, it flowed down to these two-year-old boys. And now, like, they're, they don't look like two-year-old boys anymore. They're, they're huge. Um, and they're growing up. And those boys are best buddies. And, and then all of a sudden, like, what started happening with our families is we were, we were hanging out a lot and we were talking a lot is that more kids were coming and, and that, like, all of a sudden there's, like, this pairing up of, of, of how they, the next ones became best friends, and the next ones came best friends, and our, our families began to be close. And this is, this is like way before Conduit uh, started. Now, uh, many people don't realize this or know this, but uh, Pastor Ben and I, uh, <laughs> so he was, he was uh, running his business, and he was working um, with stones, and he was building and doing great things. And God had radically, I'm sure you've heard this uh, a few times, is that God radically uh, interrupted that, and he, was, he called them into something uh, different, certainly. He called them into to something great. And uh, when he did that in his life, uh, what was happening in my life, I was working with junior high and high schoolers at a local church, and I was at a place where I was feeling called to something different. Um, and our friendship was more than just a friendship. It was a moment where, like we were together, we were talking for hours and hours and dreaming about this thing called ethos, this thing about culture and what that would look like. And to be honest, like, we were going to do something together. Like, we had planned to do a ministry. Like, we were all in. Like, there was, this was not like over coffee for a little bit of time. This was like hours upon hours and the next day and then on the phone and then like, we just meet for a few hours, and then he's got to go, and we're on the phone the whole way home, dreaming and talking about, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to start? We, like, to be honest, we were dreaming about what God wanted to do 
And it, honestly, probably the last thing that we, put, the bo- last box we put it in, so to speak, was the church. <laughs> we didn't say plan to start a church, right? Um, in fact, our whole idea was, I'll never forget being at his house and him talking about church without walls. And sometimes if you hear uh, Ben talk, you're like, whoa, like, that's big. And I was like, whoa, that's big. But I'm all in. Yeah, it sounds great. Let's do this, right? Didn't know what that meant. And to be honest, God had a different plan. He put a pause on some of that conversation. We thought maybe for a time it was going to be a camp or a retreat center or some type of leadership uh, thing. Like, honestly, we were both at the time working on staff at a church, and we were kind of like, all right, let's do something else, you know. (laughs) But here's my point is that God had a different plan. The church is the plan A. The church is the plan A, and the function of the local church is that out of the local church, that all these great ideas and these great things that affect the community happen. It's not like, oh, this church is this part of the community tucked away with the walls. The, the idea in the heart of it is that, that the church would infiltrate every part of culture in the city and that there would be in a massive influence of the ethos that was happening. And so... We went away, we planned, went to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona, and God moved in, in their life, and they opened this place through a, a lot of different uh, set of circumstances and a lot of different things of God's provision. God opened this place in November 2012, and shortly after that, um, I'm like, I got to get in this, all right? Can I come home, so to speak? He asked me, I asked him, whatever, however it worked, I couldn't wait to be back home, and we came back. And honestly, working every day with this guy has been um, amazing. Because what's happened is this thing that we dreamed of creating, and this thing that we have uh, dreamed of, of looking at Acts 2 and looking at this ethos or the early church, it's happening. And there's gaps all over the place. There's holes. If, if you've been here long enough, you know there's like holes that need plugged, like all over the place. But I tell you what. You're not going to find a place with a culture like this. And I'm so excited to be a part of this. And that is not to do with us. It's by God's spirit. And it's by what's happening. And that we have all things in common. Now, why am I bringing up our relationship? One of the desires, one of the, the, the major meat things that we wanted to happen is we wanted people to see that even through unity and even through like, difficult things and difficult conversations, that there's absolute love, and there's absolute community that carries down to our kids, that carries down to everybody in our lives. We, we experience this now with the people that are on staff, with Pastor Cameron and with Quint and with, with, with Katie and with all these people that are a part and the volunteers and so many of you that, that are a part of this community. That's what we want is that, that friendship and that, that diversity that carries through the ethos of what that church looked like. Are we perfect? Oh my goodness, no. Do we have flaws? Oh my goodness, yes. But we are, re- we are redeemed. We are one. We are one heart. We are one soul. Under the banner of the gospel. And we're devoted. And what I'm challenging you guys this morning with, I'm asking you to be devoted as well. I'm asking you to literally lean in to the body of Christ. I'm asking you to lean in to the ethos of the early church. I'm asking you to lean in in relationship with others. 
I'm asking you to lean in and be a part of an open house. I'm asking you to lean in and be present here every week. I'm asking you to lean in and to see that everything that is happening here and these kids and all that is happening all around us and what God is starting to do in this community has everything to do with us being one, with us being of one heart and one soul. This is something to celebrate. That if he's redeemed you and he's redeemed me, that automatically makes us one. Filled. Full power. Sent on mission. It's life-changing. So may the relationships that you and you and that we have, may that like trickle down to everything, every, every part of your life. The home that you live, as Pastor Ben shared, the home would flow into this church and that this church would automatically overflow into this community, that this church would be a church without walls. That's the way it was from the beginning. I think that's the way it is now, and that's the way, by God's grace, it will always be. Amen? Are you with me? Are you devoted? Are you in? Then I think, as we in, I think we have every reason to celebrate. You know what? When they celebrated and they remembered and they broke bread and they had communion in their homes, I think that there were times where they remembered the, the brutal nature of how Christ died. And I think there needs to be always a sober reality to what he went through. But I can guarantee you that when Jesus, when he was here for 40 days and he's going around teaching and showing and being present with these early disciples with this vintage church, I can guarantee you as they celebrated communion, as Jesus is even present, he was coming to them and lifting their head. He's like, there's no reason to remember the brutal nature of how I died. There is this moment where we come together and we celebrate what Jesus did when he rose and the new life that was brought because he is alive, now you can be alive. Alive in Jesus Christ. Yes, this body will perish. But for eternity, our soul will live. That's what it means to be of one soul. So when we come and we invite you to uh, partake in communion, let there be this celebration, not just with you, but with us. To know that you get to do this with one another. And as you come and then you take the, the, the cracker and you dip it in the juice and you take communion, may it be a celebration of how you're devoted ultimately to him as your Savior. But as you come, just keep in mind what this means for us. That we are one heart and one soul, one body of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to come and form two lines as Pastor Ben and I serve you uh, communion. And you can form two lines and then exit um, after you um, participated. There's also this thing up front we call an altar. It's just a space where you can come and you can pray. And you can come and pray um, if you need prayer. Um, be sure to stay here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to hear your needs. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love and the sacrifice that you us, that he gave to us. 
God, I've been dreaming all week. What does it look like for the early church to not have a needy person? I don't think it means that nobody had needs. It just meant that they weren't consumed with their own needs and they started seeing the needs of others. And all of a sudden, as they start meeting the needs of others, their needs somehow get met. That's the ethos. That's the characteristic spirit of your church. I pray for that, God, right now. We continue a conduit. And may we be an encouragement, not just to one another, but it would infiltrate this community. And I pray this 